Well, we've been in a study of the first, second, and third epistles of John, and today we're looking at the third epistle of John. So if you want to turn there, uh, we'll be referring to it throughout the message. Next week, we start a new message series. uh, Chad will be here to kick that off for us, Standing on the Promises. So if you haven't heard that hymn in a long time, next Sunday we'll be singing that, so you don't want to miss it. We are glad that you're here this morning, and we're praying God will speak to you in all that goes on here. You know, at different times throughout the years, I've thought about writing a book. I like books. I love books. Uh, I like the way they feel. I like the way they smell. I even like my nook and iPods. I just like to read. Uh, and for a number of years, I didn't read a lot, and then I kind of rediscovered it, but I was always a reader. So I've been interested at different times about writing one of those, and the question's always, if I wrote a book, what would it be about? I've had several different, I've had different interests throughout the years. I've, I've worked in several different roles throughout the years, and more than once, I've considered about writing my experience in the various churches that I've served. Of course, you know how that works. If you start writing about people in churches, you have to change the names to protect the innocent, and then you want to also protect yourself because, you know, the lawyers could come after you because what you're writing is your version of something that happened, and things are not always rosy in the church. I know that's news. I'm going to move a little more to the middle. Things are not always rosy in the church. Sometimes we get um, a little crossways. You know, life in the body of Christ can be messy. The truth is sometimes the family of God can be as challenging as our biological families. I always tell my kids uh, that family can be hard work because sometimes we don't see eye to eye even in families. Well, that happens in the family of God as well. Uh, Unfortunately, sometimes it's about a power struggle in the church. It could be about a jealousy issue. Somebody's feelings got hurt, and that can happen in our biological families, but also in the family we know as the family of God. Sometimes it can be a lot like reality TV. And so, while I have lots of really wonderful stories, there are some moments that can cause you to lose your hair. Oh, so. uh, But a long time ago, the Apostle John gave us a glimpse into the nitty-gritty world of early church life when he wrote this third epistle. So if you would, we're going to read the entire thing this morning before we break it apart. Third John, the elder, to my dear friends Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continued to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, 
will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. So there it is, life in the family, warts and all. Three primary characters this morning, Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. These were common names in the Roman Empire as during this time, as well as the name John was also a common name. In fact, if you look throughout the New Testament, you'll find these names in several different other passages throughout the New Testament. But at this point, uh, the, men, the three men we see in 3 John have no apparent connection to those other places in the New Testament. So these were three other, three other guys uh, that uh, we have here that John is talking about in his epistle. First of all, let's talk about Gaius. He was a fellow worker. Gaius was a fellow worker. The Gaius addressed by John in a very friendly way seems to be generous, seems to be a gracious man. So there are two characteristics this morning that I believe come through about Gaius that stand out for us. One is his truth. The other is his love. First of all, the truth of Gaius. Gaius had heard the truth of the gospel and had received it. The truth was in him and caused him to pursue a way of life that was evident in how he lived. It was not a secret lifestyle. You knew that there was something different about Gaius when you met him. Gaius lived the truth with an openness that was seen by others, and they had reported it back to John. He was living as Jesus commanded. Now, what did Jesus command? In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, and he told the people there, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We live in a world, then and now, where the truth is often seen as unnecessary as long as you get the job done. We all know this phrase, the end justifies the means. We've heard that. It goes against what the Bible teaches, however. John challenges this view because he recognizes that Gaius knew the truth and followed the truth. He had a consistent life, and he walked the truth. So secondly was the love of Gaius. He's characterized by love. He demonstrates hospitality to traveling Christian teachers and missionaries and other strangers. Remember, there was no home or foreign mission board. There was no sending agency in these days. The people that became teachers and missionaries were people that were on their own financially. And they had to raise funds 
when they would enter a new town. They, had, they needed help and support. In, in verse 5, John says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. Referring, referencing his service, referencing Gaius' service, John commends Gaius for that service, and he encourages him to continue. We also see here that, John, that Gaius was generous in his giving. One of the signs that we've really been touched by God is that our giving becomes gracious and generous and even cheerful in the same way that God loves. When it affects us, our giving becomes faithful. We're regular. We become systematic. We give when emotions are moved, but also with a plan. Now, this morning, some of you may be considering the Compassion International information you're receiving. And you haven't put that into the plan for your giving yet, but you find yourself maybe being tapped on the shoulder by God that he wants you to consider something. Don't know how, that'll, how, that, how you'll respond this morning, but for all of us in our giving, God will help us work. Not only responds when God speaks to them, but then they are faithful to the work they promise to do. My family and I have made a commitment to, to giving in this church. And so far, we've been able to honor that promise that we made to God in how we give to this church. So God helps, God um, carries the way in front of us. He goes before us. He provides a way for us to respond in however we feel him speaking to us about our giving towards the church or toward other Christian efforts. And it's also clear that Gaius gives cheerfully because John points to his faithfulness when he writes, send them on their way in a manner that honors God. Gaius gives because he delights in giving. He is blessed by it. Now, our second character is Diotrephes. He has a major problem, Mr. Diotrephes. Besides, his name is hard to spell. He has a major problem. When John turns his, this letter to the subject and the example of Diotrephes, we see a complete contrast to our, to our fellow worker, Gaius. God informed Gaius that he had written a letter to the church, but Diotrephes had refused to accept it. Think about that. He wrote a letter to the church. John is kind of an important guy, and Diotrephes chose to ignore it. We don't know what happened to it have no evidence. We don't know if he destroyed it or maybe he never even looked at it. It's very unlikely or it's very likely that that letter might have received some instructions about these traveling missionaries that were going through because John mentions that in his letter. It's possible that Diotrephes just, you know, refused to destroy, refused the letter, destroyed it and didn't want to hear from John's instructions to the church. Either way, he rejected John's authority to offer hospitality to traveling missionaries. Now, because Gaius walked in the truth, while Diotrephes would not acknowledge God's, God, John's authority, we find Gaius also entertained strangers. And Diotrephes did not entertain them. 
and would not let others do as well. In other words, I'm not going to take care of these folks, and neither are you. Now, being a Baptist, I know how much you would love it if I told you, you can't do this. Well, Diotrephes had decided he was telling them, you can't do this. In fact, while Gaius loved believers, Diotrephes tried to run everything. So there's a problem with Diotrephes, a major problem. He put himself first. He loved to be the head of everyone else. Interesting that commentators point out this is the first example we have in the New Testament of a church boss. Now, you know what a church boss is. He's the person that tries to run everything. So we have a really interesting example. You have probably been in church long enough. I know I have. I've known some of these people. The person that wants to be in charge of everything knows better than all of us put together what's the best thing for the church to do. You've probably met those folks. So first, John says that Diotrephes will have nothing to do with us. He was challenging the authority of the Apostle John. Now, the apostles had a unique role in the history of the church. They were to lay the foundations of the church, and they were given the authority to settle all questions within the church. Remember, John had been with Jesus. He was not a newcomer. And even at his advanced age, he had been there in person with Jesus. And yet, Diotrephes ignored John's authority. Secondly, John says that Diotrephes was gossiping maliciously. Here was a man speaking against John and slandering him. Slandering the apostle John. Third, Diotrephes defied John in regard to receiving traveling missionaries, and he wrote, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He didn't want to have anything to do with people from the outside coming into town and having church with them. Fourth, Diotrephes insisted that others in the church follow his lead rather than the apostle. If they didn't do as he said, he removed them from the church. He removed them from the church. Hard to imagine. That's a term that later developed in church history that we know as excommunication. Some other groups, they excommunicate people. Uh, in Baptist life, if you look back in our history, we churched people when they didn't act like we thought they should. But here was Diotrephes. He was the self-appointed guy who was going to take them out of the church. While this was a power struggle over how the church would operate, John makes the larger point that it's not about a difference of opinion over, it's not about a difference of opinion over who should have the final word. John argues that the struggle has happened because Diotrephes loves to be first. Loves to be first. And that's a sin that goes all the way back to the beginning. Goes all the way back to Satan. Because Satan was unwilling to be what God had made him to be. God had created Satan to be this, and Satan decided he wanted to be equal or above God. Isaiah 14, 14 says, he desired to be like the Most High. If you can imagine challenging the authority of God. Well, this is a similar sin. Diotrephes was challenging 
John's authority, which is the exact opposite of the nature of Christ. Philippians 2, verses 6, 7, and 8 say, Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The solution to Diotrephes, there is a solution. He does not advise guys to organize a split in the church. I don't know if you've ever been through a split in a church. It's an ugly thing. People choose up sides and decide they're going to be with this point of view or with that point of view. And usually, one of those points of view leaves. And it takes the church a while to recover. Just like when you have tension in your family at home, son or a daughter, perhaps one of them gets angry and walks out for whatever reason, sometimes it takes a long time for those to heal. Well, so it is with the life of the family of God. I've seen that in, in a few years of experience as well, and it's not very pleasant. But here we're challenged by the example of Christ not to be drawing a line in the sand. In verse 11, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. In other words, do not follow this man who wants to be first, who wants to be in charge. If you see someone jockeying for position in Christian relationships, always waiting, wanting to be seen, I would suggest you don't follow them. They're following their own way instead of God's. And while we find ourselves with the idea of, you know, we're not set up as judges, but I remind you the Bible tells us that we're known by our fruit. We are known by the evidence of who we are and what we do. So looking carefully at John's words helps us see by the evidence that Diotrephes was not only wrong, but there's every, every reason to believe that he was lost that he did not know Christ. And we've all heard what goes around comes around. John knew that the day would come when Diotrephes would have to give an account for his arrogance and his actions to the believers as well as to the Lord. He was building a legacy that would someday come back on him by the very people who stood with him. Romans 14, 12 reminds us that each of us will give an account of himself to God. Our actions are up for review. The things we do will be known. As believers, we're called to build our lives according to God's pattern so that someday when we stand before him, we will stand approved. Remember, Diotrephes was headed for the time when he would have to give an account for his arrogance and for the evil things he did. There would be a day that he would have to stand in judgment. And our third character today is Demetrius, a fine example is how we will talk about him, a fine example. And just one verse here, verse 12, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that 
our testimony is true. So we only know about Demetrius from this one verse, verse 12. All we know is that Gaius knew him, and he was well thought of by others, and he was well thought of by the Apostle John. He knew about Demetrius. Demetrius may not have had any authority, but his was a life to be respected and imitated rather than someone like Diotrephes. And then John ends it this way, peace to you. Even when there's tension, even when there's strife, even when there's bitterness, there can be peace in the midst of the storm. And that's the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The peace that passes all understanding. So here is a picture of real life that had real problems. And John's admonition to us is you can't do it all on your own. You can't fix everything. You need to rely on the Heavenly Father. He's the one that has the power to work out the issues that you and I are challenged by. Maybe today you've thought about, uh, I've been trying to fix everything myself. How's that working out for you? Is being in charge all that much fun? Are you not sure where to turn next? Bible indicates we don't have to give up, however. You may not have all the answers, but there's no reason to give up either. It's every reason to give it back to God and allow him to work through you to find answers for your problems. Because he will use you. It won't just happen because we sit in a chair and wait for it to. He usually has something for us to do. Perhaps it's just to pray about it and to wait. Perhaps it's to take an active part and to let him come through. But God wants to come through for us today. And we've been going through some months of very different world. There are some angry people out there around us. Maybe not on this street, but you've seen the pictures. There's a lot of things we can't do anything about by ourselves. But God can. And God will work through those things. And someday, I won't have to wear a mask into a store. But until that happens, God will give me the ability to work through that. Now today, if you're trying to do it all on your own, you're a very frustrated person. And in a moment when we, when we sing this invitation song, this song of commitment, I would encourage you to be praying as well that God will lift that from you. And that he will show you what he wants you to do in the coming weeks, in the coming months, as we meet life. Maybe you've got a family issue. Maybe you've got a medical issue. Maybe you've got a financial issue. And it's way bigger than you are. But nothing is too big for him. So however you come today, I pray that you will release that back to God and allow him to work in your life. Perhaps today you've never said yes to him. I mean, you like going to church. You even like going to Bible study, but you've never really let 
God take over in your life. Maybe you need to let him do that today. Let me invite you to stand. And we're going to sing together. I pray that this would be a song of commitment for you. I'll be here at the front if you want to pray. You can come and pray without me, but if you'd like for me to pray with you, be glad to do that. But whatever God is saying to you today, I would encourage you to take action on that. Let's pray together. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We're reminded from this third epistle that we often try to do a lot of things on our own and only you have the answers to it. Sometimes as a church, we forge off in a direction that before asking you or sometimes as an individual, sometimes in our job, sometimes in our schoolwork, just on and on it can go. We're so busy trying to fix it that we don't allow you to work in our lives. So this morning, Father, I pray your will be done in this place and that you will remind us that we need to let you be in charge. We need to let you come to our rescue this morning because you are the great rescuer. Because of your amazing grace, we can find answers. And so, Father, we're listening here in this place this morning as we sing this song of commitment. We ask you to move in Jesus' name. Amen.